That is awesome. You can't beat that. When all of a sudden someone takes a step of faith and comes to know Jesus, man, I remember that at 17 years old, that being me. How cool is that? Way to go. Way to go, Ellie and Joelle. That was sweet. Hey, I don't know about you, but I remember these years. And one thing I remember in those years of life was wondering what God's will is for my life. And maybe you've asked that question. It doesn't need to be in those years. It could be in the moment you're in right now. But I remember in those years when I wondered what God's will for my life was, I found myself asking narrowly a few questions. And sometimes it was kind of like, who should I marry, right? You know, I mean, who might be that person who actually says yes? I mean, there's, there's three and a half billion options out there, but God, do you have one in mind, you know, that you will like intersect my path with and what that's gonna be like, you know? And then I also found myself asking questions like, God, what's my like job gonna be in life? I mean, that's kind of a big deal. I'll study mechanical engineering. Am I gonna do that? Will it be ministry? Will it be something else that I don't even know? Like, what's my job? And maybe... You're asking this question, I certainly wondered, where am I gonna live? Like, not just who am I gonna marry or where am I gonna work, but like, where will I live? I was asking those questions wondering, what is God's will for my life? And the interesting thing is, our passage today brings up God's will for your life towards the end of the passage and we're gonna get there. But we drop ourselves right into the midst of an argument. And I don't know if you've ever walked into like someone's living room, and you're like, whoa, something's gone on in here. Like you can just feel it, right? There's tension as soon as you walk into that environment. We step into the middle of an argument because we're continuing a passage where, you know what? Jesus's, uh, like the religious leaders in his day have come against him. They have been against him. They have been antagonistic. He steps into their presence. He's, he's from God. His message is different than theirs, and they want to fight with them. They want to argue with them. They are known for saying things like, you're possessed by the devil. They hated him. They wanted to kill him, and we step right into the midst of that conflict, even though we'll end up talking about God's will. If you've got a Bible, Matthew 12 is the place that we are in this morning, and I want you to jump right in with us. There are a number of verses I could have shown you that would give you that context, but know this, Jesus is in hostile territory talking to people, and just before this, he had healed a man possessed by a demon, cast the demon out, radically healed him, and they said, you're doing it by the works of the devil, and this is what, this is how our passage continues. Look with me at Matthew 12, verse 38. Matthew 12, verse 38. And if you've got a Bible, great. If not, we'll put it on the screen. The Bible says, then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, said to Jesus, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered them, an evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at Jonah's preaching. And look, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And look, something greater than Solomon is here. 
Go back to verse 38, if you're looking at that. They, uh, they talk to Jesus and they address him as teacher. Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Now, teacher is normally a sign of respect. Here's what's interesting, though. These guys never use that term for anyone outside of their ranks. And clearly, they had just said you're possessed by the devil right before that, and they will antagonize him. They were not respectful at all. So very likely, most likely, when they say teacher, they're using that term as outright flattery or blatant mockery. So they have a very negative place they're coming from in their hearts. And they say to him, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Now, is it wrong for someone who doesn't yet know Jesus to want Jesus to make himself known in an amazing way? I don't think so. I think there are people who are leaning in. They're humble. Maybe they've got some great questions about how does science match up with the Bible? I got some questions about that. Or, or how does this claim about truth match up with what I heard growing up? I've got some questions about that. I don't think it's wrong at all to have a heart that goes, God, help me. If you'd even make yourself known in amazing ways, I would be interested. But doesn't it have everything to do with the heart of the questioner? Their hearts were wicked. They were evil. They had just seen God do an amazing sign, healing a guy, demon-possessed, had physical problems. They had just seen a miracle. No, they didn't need another miracle. And that's why Jesus said to them, an evil and adulterous generation demands a sign. They wanted Jesus dead. Jesus was a threat to them. And he wasn't about to do a song and dance for these religious hypocrites. This is what he says to them. Look again at verse 40. This is amazing. Verse 40, it says, For as Jonah was three days in the belly of a fish, a huge fish, right? So the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. Let me give you a little background because I know when I was a, a new college student, I was a brand new Christian. I didn't even understand the story of Jonah. Jonah was a prophet a number of years before this, hundreds of years before this, a Jewish prophet who God sent to go proclaim a message of hope to a people who deserve God's judgment. Jonah was this guy, and, and believe me, I, he fled from God's desire for him. In fact, God said, go over there. He got on a boat and headed the opposite direction. And now I have pity on this guy because if only you knew the people God was sending him to you might flee also. Here's what was true of the Ninevites. The Ninevites were like the epitome of evil in that time. They were known for their wickedness. They were known for witchcraft, for prostitution, for evil. They were known for cruelty. In fact, there's a wall carving that's been found showing the king of Nineveh putting out the eyes of his, like the people he would capture, and then like with a hook, putting it through their lips, and then like dragging them off to captivity. These guys were known for cruelty, evil. They were, they were wealthy. They were, in fact, called the city of blood. And Jonah says, go to them. <laughs> go to them. You might turn the other way, too. I think I would have. So Jonah flees. And what's so amazing is they throw him off this boat. You've got to read the book of Jonah. Amazing. And there are some huge fish, maybe a whale, maybe just some large fish that just absolutely 
eats this guy alive and he stays alive. The miracle of Jonah is that for three days, he is being kept alive, preserved in this animal. I can't imagine what it looks like to be partially digested, right? Vomiting is bad enough. Three days later, this guy gets vomited up on dry land, has a change of heart, and now looking however he did, he's ready to go and bring the message to them. Now, for three days, anyone who would have seen Jonah go off the side of that boat and get swallowed would have been like, that guy's dead for sure. And then out of nowhere, out of the belly of an animal comes this man three days later. So what were they hearing in verse 40 when Jesus said this? Go back with me to verse 40. They wanted a sign from Jesus. He says, I'm not going to give you one. Then he says, for as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. Know this, that God, even though they were wickedly accusing Jesus, he would condescend to them and give them the greatest sign of all. And the greatest sign of all is that Jesus, who is standing before them speaking, though he would be crucified by the Romans at, with their desire, and though he would go into the heart of the earth, be buried in a tomb, a rich man's tomb, three days after being dead, he would rise from the dead. The resurrection, the hope of Christianity, the hope of those who follow Jesus, he would be resurrected. And Jesus is saying to them, oh, you're going to get your sign. You're going to get a sign that's not like on some little sticky note, like this is on the jumbotron of life, the resurrection. And Jonah's story has been pointing to it. You're going to get your sign. Even then, they would fail to believe. But he goes on. There's more about the story of Jonah God wants us to hear this morning. Listen to this. How will these godless, wicked, non-Jewish Ninevites, um, why will they condemn the, the, the Pharisees? Look at this. It says, the men of Nineveh, look in verse 41, will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at Jonah's preaching. And look, something greater than Jonah's here. Like this guy, Jonah, when he finally went back into town, listen to this from the book of Jonah. This is fascinating. Jonah chapter three, verse four says this. Jonah, he finally gets back to Nineveh, right? Jonah chapter three says, Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh. By order of the king and his nobles, no person or animal, herd or flock, is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth, and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster he had threatened them with, and he did not do it. Why? Why will the wicked Ninevites stand up in the judgment and condemn the very Pharisees that Jesus is talking to? Why? Because they repented. This people, and no one would have thought these people would turn to God. 
no one would have thought. I bet some in this crowd could give testimony to this, that you never thought you would turn and follow Jesus. You never thought you'd be one of those people. Sometimes people so wicked, so evil, so far gone, you would never think they would turn. You never would think it. They heard the message. They immediately humbled themselves. They said, we're fasting and our animals are fasting also. Like we're gonna cry out to God. They humbled themselves before God. They listened to what he had to say and they repented, which means they just changed the way they thought. And God forgave them. God forgave them. And now Jesus says, they will rise up at the judgment and condemn you because they did the right thing. They listened and they repented. And now someone greater than Jonah is here. Jesus had already used a phrase like this. Something greater than the temple is here. Now something greater than Jonah is here. Something about to be greater than Solomon is here. I am greater. And you're not listening. Jonah, the reluctant prophet who really hated the people he was going to. He crossed an ocean to get there. I, the son of God, have come all the way from heaven to earth. I stand in front of you. I'm telling you, listen to me and repent. And still, people's hearts were hard and they refused. Look, bottom line today, God's children, they have open ears and they have humble hearts. That means they listen and they repent. And guess what? This message isn't only for someone who perhaps like Joel, like maybe didn't know Jesus a couple weeks ago. This message isn't only for the person who's not following Christ. It's true of God's children, that God's children are people who listen to God. And when he says something different than what they believe, they change the way they think, they repent. They listen and they repent. Is that true of you? Is your life marked by a listening heart, a repentant heart? Do you listen and then do you repent? Do you change your mind when you're wrong? I don't know about you. I try and read my Bible most days of the week. I keep finding things in there like every day that show me I'm wrong. That's a bummer. You'd think I'd give up on it. But here's what I've realized. God's not gonna change. So I need to. And I try and humble myself and repent. I am told that I am wrong almost every day of my life. I'm not joking. My wife, she very faithfully tells me how I'm wrong. My kids tell me how I'm wrong. And I'm talking about very specific things. Hey, Paul, I've noticed you're not loving to that person when we're gathered together. You know, and I'm like, okay, well, neither are you. You know, no, I mean, I want to be defensive. I often am. But God wins. I go, ah, you're right. I need to change. Guys, I know this that even as hard as it is for me, God's family is marked by people who will, even in time, even though it's hard, humble yourselves and repent. That's what they did. That's what the Pharisees would not do. But it goes on. Look at this. Matthew 12, 42 says this. And this is an interesting one. The queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And look, Something greater than Solomon is here. Okay, like Jesus just supposed that we all knew the Old Testament really well. A, a lot of people don't. You might not know who the queen of the South is if you've not read 1 Kings chapter 10. So I'll tell you, this was an Arab queen who 
was a, lived about 1,200 miles from Jerusalem. She wasn't a Jew at all, okay? This woman from a long way away heard about a king in Jerusalem, a man named Solomon, who was super wise, super like amazing, super blessed by God. And she was so curious, get this, this queen gets other people around her, load up a bunch of camels with a bunch of gifts and like hoofs it 1,200 miles to just listen. And this is what happens when she gets there. Let me just read from 1 Kings chapter 10. You can read the whole story later on your own. 1 Kings chapter 10, I'll start in verse four. When the queen of Sheba observed all of Solomon's wisdom, the palace he had built, the food at his table, his servants' residence, his attendant service and their attire, his cupbearers and the burnt offerings he offered at the Lord's temple, it took her breath away. She said to the king, the report I heard in my own country about your words and about your wisdom is true, but I didn't believe the reports until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, I was not even told half. Your wisdom and prosperity far exceed the report I heard. How happy are your men? How happy are these servants of yours who always stand in your presence hearing your wisdom? Blessed be the Lord your God. He delighted in you and put you on the throne of Israel because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel. He has made you king to carry out justice and righteousness. Do you see? This queen says, I didn't believe it at first. I didn't think it was true. I didn't believe in you. So I traveled 1,200 miles. I've sat at your feet. I've listened. I wasn't even told half the story. It's true. Oh, blessed be God. Look at your wisdom. You're amazing. You're amazing. Here's the gifts I brought. And actually Solomon sent her home, I think with maybe more than she even brought to him. You're amazing. Why will the queen of Sheba, get back to our story, why does Jesus say, you know what? The queen of Sheba is going to stand up and condemn you someday. Why? Look at it, it says in verse 42, go back there. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because, look, she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And look, something greater than Solomon is here. Oh, she came to listen. She came to hear and get this. God's children are those who listen and who change the way they think. God's children are those who have open ears and humble hearts, and she modeled that. Guys, I don't think the problem is here with people. I think it's here. I don't think the issue is a head issue. I think it's a heart issue. I don't think the issue is an absence of hard facts, but rather the presence of a hard heart. And God is saying, will you come humbly? Will you listen? Will you be ready to change your mind? This is the one I am ready to reveal myself and bless. Because isn't it annoying being around people who already know it all? <laughs> I'll put it differently. Isn't it annoying being around seniors in high school? 
Now you think, oh man, you're taking a shot at seniors. I was one. Let me just talk about myself for a second. Wasn't it annoying to people around me during my senior year? Because during my senior year, I knew everything. I knew everything. And I bet if you're anything like me, you did too. I mean, hey, that senior year, oh my word. I'd been around this high school for four years. I already knew my way around. I knew where all the classes were. I knew how to work the lunch line. And, and, and I, I certainly was smarter than my parents. I mean, I had the grades to prove it. I mean, did they even do SAT, ACT back then in the dark ages? I don't know. I was smarter. I knew it. My grades, my GPA showed it. And, and you, you found yourself looking down on the freshmen who would come in. Remember them? They, they looked so small. Remember that? I mean, they just like, look like little children walking in the halls. And you, you, oh, they're cute. You know, look at them. First day of school and their new outfits, you know, and ah, oh, lunchboxes. You know what? You can do lunchboxes if you want. And you just see them just, and you kind of have pity on them and, and merge because you're a senior and you know everything. And then something miraculous happens. You become a freshman the very next year. And interestingly, you become one of the most humble, teachable people ever. Just in a moment, you go from knowing everything to being ready to learn once again. You don't know where anything is. You don't know how to master the system. And isn't it amazing how just like in a day, your parents immediately get so much smarter. Now, they didn't change at all, but finally you humbled yourself and realized, oh, my word, they've got answers I don't have. It is often annoying being around proud people who don't care to listen, who already know everything. But it is a blessing being around the humble. And Jesus is just striking out against them because they refuse to listen. They refuse to humble their heart and listen. I wonder if there's anyone here today who was in the same place Joel was just a couple weeks ago. You don't yet know Jesus. Like Jesus is revealing himself to people. He's saying you need to listen. You need to repent. You need to change the way you think. You need to open your heart to me. I wonder if there are some who are finally ready to humble their hearts and listen. He's come for you. He's come. Or will you be like I was? And sadly, I still am at times. And put your hands over your ears, la, 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 I can't hear you, I can't, I can still see my older brother doing this, it was so annoying to me, la, 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 I can't hear you, you know, like when I'm trying to tell him something. Guys, bad goes to worse here in the next verses. Look at this, Jesus just continues, and he says this in verse 43, and it seems like he's really shifting gears, like leaving the whole context altogether. I think it'll make sense. When an unclean spirit comes out from a person, it roams through waterless places looking for rest, but doesn't find any. Then it says, I'll go back to my house that I came from. Returning, it finds the house vacant, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and settle down there. As a result, that person's last condition is worse than the first, that's how it will also be with this evil generation. Now, what in the world? Jesus was just talking about, you know, Jonah and the queen of Sheba and how they repented and how they listened. And now we're talking about like some spirit leaving someone and then coming back with seven more evil demonic spirits. What? 
Remember last week, we're in the middle of a conversation. Remember last week, the teaching was Jesus had just cast a spirit out of a guy. I think he's tying into that teaching. That guy was like in the crowd. He's probably standing right there. He's like, yeah, that's me. That, that was what you're talking about. That was me. And Jesus says something interesting. He goes, you know what? If a spirit gets cast out of someone, and here is where I think Jesus wanted them to hear, and if you don't listen, and if you don't repent, and if you don't get your heart ready for me, then guess what happens? Their end condition will be worse than their first. It's like seven other evil spirits come in and live in that house. Like if, if even Jesus does a miracle in your life, casts a demon out of you, but you don't repent and listen, your heart, you don't open up your heart to Jesus, it will be worse for you as if seven other demons came. What does it matter if Jesus were to heal you of something in this life and you live healthy for a hundred years and then eternally live in hell because you never repented and listened. I bet the guy who was healed right there says, you want to listen. One demon was awful. You don't want a worse condition. Oh, will we listen? Will we repent? What I believe is true is that people who have not decided to follow Jesus don't stay in a neutral place for long. I don't think you'll stay neutral for long. Or your friends, if you're trying to win lost people to Jesus, I hope you're trying to. If you're trying to talk to them often, I don't think those people will stay in neutral long. They either move towards Christ or they start moving away from him. To not decide for Jesus today is to decide against him. Delayed obedience is still disobedience, okay? Jesus is eliciting a response and God's children open up their ears and open up their hearts and they were refusing to. And so Jesus ends like this, Matthew 12, 46. He wraps up this long argument that's been going on by saying, and it's just Matthew describing this, while he was still speaking with the crowds, look at this, his mother and brothers were standing outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to the one who was speaking to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, here are my mother and here are my brothers. So whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now, let me just ask this question. Why was this family standing outside? Why weren't they in the house? Why did they want to speak to him at this time? Matthew only tells you that his family is outside going, can we speak to you, Jesus? Can we have a word? That's what my wife does sometimes. Hey, Paul, can, can, can I talk to you in the other room? And I go, oh, no. You know, like that kind of, hey, can we have a word with you? Just, just real quick. It'll be quick. Why were they doing that? Mark, and I'm so grateful for different gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, different stories of the same events. Mark tells us that, get this, when his family heard like what was going on, they went to take charge of him for they said, he is out of his mind. That's what got them there. They're trying to get Jesus because they're thinking he has lost it. 
Jesus has gone nuts. Either they just purely didn't believe in Jesus themselves at that time in life, or they thought, you're going to get yourself killed if you keep talking like this. Well, they were wrong. He wasn't out of his mind. But they were right. You're going to get yourself killed if you keep talking like that. Because that's what they were worrying about. Because Jesus came, and he wasn't trying to please crowds. He's not politically correct, Jesus. He just walks around with a flowing robe, throws flowers at people, and says, bless you. No, he calls for a response. He calls people uncomfortably to respond to him. He is a king. Something greater than the temple is here. Something greater than Jonah is here. Something greater than the wisdom of Solomon is here. Are you listening? He calls for a response. And the family's outside going, can we have a word with you? You're going to get yourself killed. You're saying things. Do you know how you offended them? You shouldn't say they're, you, you, you shouldn't be against them like that. You should make them happy. I don't know. They were concerned for him. And Jesus says, you know what? I know you keep telling me my, my family's outside. They want to talk to me. Maybe they're a little bit worried about me. This is my family. This is my family. In fact, whoever does the will of my father, that's my family. And all the way back to the beginning, when I said I wondered as a college student, what's God's will for my life? And I very narrowly said, here's a few. Who am I going to marry? Where am I going to work? Where am I going to live? Jesus just doesn't speak into those categories. He goes, you want to know my will? You still wondering what the will of God is? Look at our passage. The will of God, the way into his family, here's God's will, that we listen. We listen to Jesus. And when we hear him and we're wrong, we humble our hearts, we change the way that we think. I know this, Christ follower, God's will for your life isn't that one time in your life you admit that you're wrong you say, Jesus, I'm wrong. You repent, and you listen to Jesus, and you become a Christian, and then you're obstinate and stubborn the rest of your life. No. The mark of a genuine child of God is that you continue to humble yourself, continue to open your ears, continue to open your heart, and change whenever God addresses you. That's what Christianity is. But let me say, perhaps to someone like Joel who's here this morning, who has never yet made a decision for Jesus. I want you to know that today can be your decision to step into the family of God. Because though a humble heart, a repentant heart, listening ears should always mark a Christ follower, you have to start somewhere. And I'm telling you, the message is simply this, that though we deserve the judgment that Nineveh deserved, God sent not Jonah, God sent Jesus from heaven to earth, not even across an ocean, from heaven to earth to tell us that, yes, we deserve judgment, but he is making a way for us. And Jesus spoke wisdom that made Solomon look like an idiot. His wisdom, his teaching was brilliant. He was humble, and he said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The rest Jesus offers is this. You can stop working trying to please God. God has done all the work for you by sending Jesus. He's lived perfectly for you. And this same Jesus that some may have thought, if you keep talking like this, you're going to get killed. He decided when and where he would die. And yes, he was killed to take away our sins. And this morning, if you have ears to hear, 
and a heart humble enough to change, you can come to Jesus and you can say, Jesus, I'm ready. I don't want to be condemned with the Pharisees. I don't want everyone standing up at the day of my judgment saying, you deserve it. You are so proud. I'm ready to humble my heart and respond to Jesus. Ask Jesus to forgive you today. Put your trust in him. He rose from the grave, giving us confidence that when we die, we will rise also. The king of kings has come. Who will humble their hearts? Who will listen? God's family is known by people with open ears and an open heart. May it mark us as a church. Let me pray for us.